0: Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller.
1: Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg
0: Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Right now, I want to get a sense. Let's talk about one of the fastest-growing areas uh, in the financial markets, Matt, which is ETFs. That's where the kids are playing today. Sylvia Jablonski, Chief Investment Officer, co-founder at Defiance ETFs. Uh, Sylvia, thanks so much for joining us here. I I would love to just get your thoughts here um, on these markets in in 2022. You know, Matt and I, we talk a lot about rising interest rates. We're not sure how much and how fast. We've got a slowing economy. We're not sure how much and how fast. But given that backdrop, how are you thinking about these markets?
2: Hi, good morning, and uh, great to be here with you today. Well, you know, I I think that these markets were a a little bit of um, a a wake-up call from the way that we ended 2021 in terms of, um, you know, some of the fear and and panic and volatility that we've seen, you know, following a dramatic fiscal and and monetary policy, um, you know, year of year of support in 2020 and 2021. Uh, the markets now in 2022 are, are sort of in a transition as some of those policies and, and economies move towards a more normalized state. And you know what we're trying to figure out is, you know, how does that look? And I think that by itself would sort of be okay. And maybe we would see, you know, sort of less, a little bit less liqu- liquidity, a little bit less free money, things like that. Maybe a little pullback on high returns, but. What I think adds some, some volatility and uncertainty is essentially, you know, the supply chain disruptions, um, the upsurge in demand for, for goods that's keeping inflation high and, and some of these other risks to the markets.
1: It's, and it's not just high, right? I mean, the 7.5% print is getting people to flip out. Um, Jim Bullard said yesterday, mm-hmm. at, in another time, they would have caused, called an emergency meeting and really done something about it. And there are a lot of critics out there who say, why in the heck aren't they doing that? Um, it's the highest inflation's been since I was eight. So, you know, eight? I think I was seven. 1981 is the last time 1982,
0: we saw. I graduated high school. That was a fantastic year.
1: That's awesome <laughs> for you. I, it was also awesome being eight, but it wasn't awesome living with this much inflation for my parents and it certainly isn't for me now or a lot of especially lower income people in this country. Um, what kind of rate hike schedule do you see as a result i mean are we going to see 50 basis points in march or at least one of the f- next few meetings because bullard wants to see four rate hikes in the next three meetings
2: you know it's it's so hard to call right because it, you see what bullard came out with and then you know sort of the response to that that the, the fed is going to wait and see and 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 you know be reactive and reactive to what's going on in the actual economy and, and month by month, you know, sort of take a look and, and, and go step by step. So it, it feels like, you know, the, the Fed wants to come in for a soft landing and you can see the reaction of the markets um, to, to some of his comments about, you know, perhaps do, doing more and more quickly at higher rates and things like that. So I, I just, you know, my my sense of this is that it's going to be a slow and steady rate hike process. And I think part of that is because, yes, inflation is at all time highs, but we still don't know how much of this, you know, supply chain disruption clearing out, you know, wages sort of easing out, um, a a full sort of reopen, getting back into the market is going to pull that down where, you know, we might be at all time highs there. We we sort of keep saying that I thought that last month and, you know, here we are a little bit higher, but I, I do think that we're peaking out here. Um, so, you know, I, I, I would expect it to be hopefully, but, you know, so, so my, you know, my guess will be four to five on this. Um, and I don't, you know, see 250 50, um, moves in a row, but we'll, we'll, we'll sort of see how that turns out.
0: 30 seconds, Sylvia, what are the sectors that you like the most right here, given that backdrop?
2: Yeah, I I really like, well, two things. One would be um, the the reopen trade, right? Um, We're we're kind of vaccinated. The numbers are getting better. So cruises, hotels, airlines, and number two, disruptive technology. You've got to be invested in 5G. You've got to be invested in Web 3.0. It's certainly the future, and I don't think that these items' um, issues right now are a huge factor on the future growth stories there.
0: All right, Sylvia, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Sylvia Jablonski, Chief Investment Officer, co-founder, Defiance uh, ETFs. talk about NBC. Boy, are they busy. They got a Super Bowl, Matt. They got the Olympics. They got Mike Tirico flying back and forth between the Olympics and the Mm. Super Bowl. You know who follows uh, all that media stuff for Bloomberg News? Yeah, I did. I did it back in the day, but Jerry Smith follows it for Bloomberg News, and we've got Jerry Smith here right now. Jerry, is it a good time to be NBC right now?
3: It's definitely a busy time to be working at NBC. Um, yeah, they have the Super Bowl on Sunday night, and their Olympics coverage uh, started a lot, uh, late last week. So they've got a lot of employees uh, in Beijing, a lot of employees in Los Angeles, uh, which is already complicated, and then you're talking about doing all this in the middle of a pandemic. So it's, um, it's a busy uh, time to be at NBC right now.
1: Well, and our – other people besides Paul watching the Olympics. I mean, I I barely know they're going on. Although I have to say that I also go to bed at 6 p.m. every night. Um, <laughs> is is it as popular as um, NBC would have hoped when they were bidding for it?
3: It's certainly not what they hoped. Uh, the ratings so far uh, for the Olympics are down almost 50 percent from the Winter Games four years ago. Um, you wow. know, and there's a lot of reasons for that i mean just in the last 40 years a lot of people have cut the cord and are watching a lot less tv than they used to um there's also just a lot of challenges nbc faced with these games the the controversy over china and their human rights record uh, a 13-hour time difference uh, between the east coast and beijing so a lot of these events are happening while people are asleep Um, You know, there's a potential fatigue factor. We just had a summer games. They're normally spaced out two years between summer and winter. This time, there's just six months between the Summer Olympics and the Winter Olympics. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of different reasons why the ratings might be down.
0: Jerry, is NBC even making the argument that, oh, they're not capturing all our digital viewership? Is that argument trying to be made?
3: Yeah, I mean, NBC is, is actually trying to uh, – they've been on this campaign for a while now where they're trying to replace uh, Nielsen, which is the industry yep. standard for ad deals. Uh, they feel like Nielsen isn't capturing all the viewers on um, outside of the TV landscape. They've been promoting data from a company called iSpot TV, which does its own sort of measurement um, I mean, that's been the challenge for NBC is just trying to get the Olympics in front of people who are not watching TV anymore. So they've struck deals with TikTok, um, you know, Snapchat, Twitter. They have uh, Peacock, a streaming service where for $4.99 a month, you can watch every uh, Olympics event for the first time.
0: So, Jerry, there's a concept in the TV world of make goods, which is, boy, if your audience comes in way below what you told me it was going to be, you got to give me some more ads is that something that NBC is talking about here for the
3: Olympics? Right. I mean, the, I've been talking to NBC executives and advertising executives, and, and no one is surprised that the ratings are down. Uh, in fact, NBC lowered um, its expectations uh, with advertisers, um, you know, by about forty percent before the games began. Right. So. Ultimately, you know, and when you lower your uh, your expectations for your audience, you also lower the price. So NBC was charging a lot less for these ads than Hmm. they did four years ago. And the hope is, is that they can make up for those lower prices uh, with a lot more ad inventory. I mean, if you think about all the different platforms that the Olympics are on now, that's a lot more ad inventory that NBC can sell.
0: All right, interesting. We'll continue to pay attention to that. Plus, we got a Super Bowl. Maybe they can make it up there uh, this Sunday because this is likely to be uh, maybe the highest rated Super Bowl in a long, long Everyone's time. Everyone's going to bet. I now. know. Everybody's yeah. bet. Everybody's got some control on this thing, so we'll see. All right, let's check in with our next guest, Dave Ellison, portfolio manager at the Hennessy Large and Small Cap Financial Funds. Dave, how are financials going to perform and what is a rising interest rate environment. How do you think about that?
4: You know, I you know, I think generally the market has been, you know, in lockstep, meaning that rates go up, financials go up, and vice versa. And that's been kind of a, a theme that's been playing out for, you know, a year or so now. And uh, I, I'm not sure if that continues, depending on what happens to the yield curve. Uh, but I think generally the, the banks in particular are – you know, they've got good earnings visibility. The valuations aren't crazy uh, relative to history. And I think they're becoming kind of a safe haven in a market where, you know, it seems like daily there's blowups, you know, not necessarily all in financial stocks, but across the board. So I, I generally think we are in a significant correction in the market, a significant downturn in the market. It's not showing up in the indexes. But boy, there are stocks that have just gotten absolutely hammered. Uh, I look at Bank America's up 10% uh, this year, and I look at, for example, Affirm Holdings, which is a buy now, pay later, a finance company that's down about oh, almost 50% this year. So there, there are significant things happening in the market, and and I think the problem is valuation, and the problem is delivering on their you know on what they. Told people they were going to do, meaning the business models aren't working, mm. and the stocks are just getting absolutely hammered.
1: So, but you're not saying, oh, now a firm has a better valuation. I want to go in and buy that buy now, pay later business.
4: Well, in that in that specific case, I'm just picking out the fact that there's significant negative performance happening in the market despite the indexes. what is the S and P flat this year, this week. I, I, I yep. think so. I, I I think my math is. Kind of correct, maybe true. not. Yeah, and and yet you've had these massive drawdowns in these companies. You know, I, you just mentioned Goodyear Tire leading up into this uh, into my segment here. That's down twenty percent. I mean, in my days at Fidelity, you had a stock down twenty percent; it wrecked your performance. If it was a big position in the fund, and it would destroy your performance for the year. So, so you are having massive, you know, performance destructive stocks in these portfolios that are not showing up in the indexes. So th- this is a – we are in a significant correction in the market.
1: Well, you mentioned and, you mentioned the yield curve. I mean, yesterday we saw the two-year yield rise 25 basis points in one session. I mean, yeah, that's well, just think, a nutso move.
4: Right. Well, I think the, the problem is, you know, the Fed governors talk too much, uh, uh-huh. and they need to shut up and not talk as much. It creates these problems in the market. The market's going to go there anyway. It was going to go there anyway – meaning that I don't know it was going to go there that day, but if we do have a persistent inflation problem, we need to get rates more normalized. I don't think raising rates is going to impact inflation that much, uh, at least in the near term, because there are other issues impacting it. And the question whether, you know, discussion on inflation is a big one. The question is, my view is that companies seem to be raising prices because they can, politically get away with it and socially get away with it and they're going to do that as long as they can and you have examples like tyson foods this week where you know they raise prices across the board and the stock is up so every ceo sees that and says okay i can raise prices it will help my stock price i mean twenty years ago it was basically move all your production to china and the stock went up so everybody went to china got the cheap labor, expanded their margins, and their stock went went up. And now, if we're in a trap now where they're going to raise prices to hang on to margins, you're going to have persistent inflation despite what the Fed does on rates.
0: Hey, Dave, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Appreciate getting your thoughts, as always. Dave Ellison, Portfolio Manager, Hennessy Large and Small Cap Financial Funds there joining us. All right. During this pandemic, more and more people working from home, more and more people learning from home. That means more and more data goes up into the cloud. That raises data security issues. Um, Let's get to the bottom of that. Get some more details. Sanjay Merchandani. He's the CEO of Common Vault. Common Vault is a publicly traded stock um, under on the Nasdaq. CVLT is the symbol for you. Uh, Sanjay, thanks so much for joining us here. Are we seeing more security issues data issues again as more and more people do their computing from remote areas now during this pandemic?
5: Sure hey, good to be there uh, the company's CompAlt, CVLT um, a, you know is your question is is, is, is data more at risk? well data has never been more valuable and I would say when more vulnerable because to your point, It's being created, you know, from remote work. Data is being used in new use cases for, you know, data lakes, data warehouses, analytics, uh, customer service. And so data is in flight. There's a lot more data being created. And, yes, there's a lot more happening around that data. You know, we've seen an incredible increase in cyber threats, cyber attacks on that data um, over the past few years, but really around the pandemic where, uh, companies had to pivot in, you know, into a whole new way of working, and, um, and we're exposed. We help customers every day, literally every day. And customers, uh, uh,
1: And Sanjay, I wonder if it just gets harder and harder. It's an uphill battle. By the way, to uh, repeat for viewers, it's Commvault, not Common vault Systems. Paul has a, Paul has an issue, speech issue. Yes, <laughs> vault Systems, um, of course. And you know, as we create and produce more and more data. I mean, it, we're expecting exponential climbs, right? So how much more difficult does this fight get? It gets, you
5: know, it is, it is why, um, Convalt, you know, we're in the data, we, we think we're in the data protection, data management, uh, sort of space. We've seen a real tailwind in our business over the past couple of years, because all of a sudden, um, companies, boards, uh, it's, it's at the, you know CEO and board level, they they're making decisions around having a uniform platform to manage all their data assets. And data assets for most companies have come over, you know, over generations, literally. So you're running, you have your have business applications that were built decades ago that are still running businesses and you have to protect those, as well as as well as the new workloads in the cloud, the cloud native workloads. And and that's where we come in. Just as an example, in the, in just in the past three years, we have moved over two and a half exabytes of data for customers into the public cloud. And and that that has literally grown five times in the last three years. So you can see the pace at which customers are embracing public cloud services, public cloud capabilities, and that brings about a whole new way of thinking about protecting that data.
0: Sanjay, what you know? I think about you know data security, cybersecurity, and you know oftentimes we hear from you know big, large, publicly traded corporations, S and P five hundred companies. How about some of the small to mid size companies? How are they equipped to kind of secure their data to secure their networks?
5: It's it's a it's a it's a very important question. It's a reality because we, today no one's immune. No company, regardless of size, is immune to these cyber threats. It doesn't matter. Uh, what size you are? Um, what they want is the data. What they want is to be able to hold you for ransom. And and what's happening is we, you know, the expectations become that you know a small accounting firm with let's say 50 people has to have the same defenses uh, as the Pentagon to protect their customer information, their client information. It's hard. It's super hard. And so what we're doing is, and and then there's another, you know, with, with ransomware, which is which is the latest sort of threat vector. What's happening is that traditional IT organizations um, find themselves, you know, at the crosshairs of, of of sort of what I call, you know, IT collision, which is, is it a security problem or is it an infrastructure problem? Who, you know, is who owns the backup? Is that the best way to go about it? And and so this, this whole thing is causing companies, small and big, to rethink uh, data protection, and which is why we've. You know, we've been hard at work creating super, super easy to use um, SaaS-based solutions. Mm-hmm. As an example, we call it Metallic, just so the customers can need access to world-class capabilities to protect themselves. That's 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 been our, you know, uh, our direction.
1: So, what kind of growth do you expect?
5: You know, we we, we just announced um, Q3 results, uh, and you know, we we it was a record-setting quarter for us. Uh, we, you know, we exceeded over $200 million in quality total revenue for the first time as a company. So it was quite a it was quite a, a threshold. Um, you know, we, 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 we continue to see growth. We've had, um, you know, really good results over the past couple of years. Our new products, um, which we sort of capture under the subscription and SaaS ARR, our SaaS products and our subscription-oriented products, sort of grew 45% year-on-year, year, and they're more than half of our um, total ARR. Um, and the recurring revenue. So, you know, we're we're seeing great motion, and there's no reason to believe that it. it would
1: slow down. Sanjay, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate your time. Sanjay Berchandani there is the CEO of Commvault. Again, the ticker on the NASDAQ is CVLT. Um, go ahead and check that out if you want to see more about Commvault Systems. Um, the stock, uh, over the past year, has... Um, it come down a little right now, sixty six, eighty eight. Um, but it had a, a big jump throughout twenty twenty one, and like the rest of the markets, been very volatile. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at matt miller nineteen seventy three, and I'm Paul Sweeney.
0: I'm on Twitter at pt sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.